Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? As per usual, Gary, I am absolutely splendid. How are you? Very good. You're off the back of uh, finishing your first placement, is it? I am. All done. And the GP next. Looking forward to it. And what does that involve, GP versus... You were in... Uh... Pediatrics, was it? I can't even remember what you were doing. I was in as general general medicine, general internal medicine. So adult inpatient medicine involving people who have presented and been admitted to the hospital for many different reasons. And now this is general practice. So it's outpatient, people who go to their GP for whatever reason. And you have a whole host of presentations naturally. So a little bit different, but looking forward to it nonetheless. And have you been enjoying being in the hospital? Because I know I'm asking these questions because I know people are interested. They're like, what's the story with Gary? How's he getting on? Yes, I much prefer the hospital environment because I like, well, it actually sounds awful, but I'm more interested in the very sick patients very, rather than the people who are, you know, kind of well. So um, I like, you know, the... The more uh, intense disease states, let's say. So being in the hospital is uh, concordant with that, whereas in general practice, you know, there's maybe a little bit more, you could have a head cold or you could have someone coming in for a sick cert or, you know, someone's back is sore, their knee is sore. And then, of course, you get the odd, you know, serious complaint. Or um, So it's a very important job for sure. But for me, I prefer inpatient medicine. Fantastic. Anyway... Somewhat related, but obviously not related. Um, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about longevity. We're talking about the role that exercise plays in longevity or the prolonging of one's life and along with that, improving one's quality of life. And specifically what we're focusing on today is the role of aerobic fitness versus strength, um, which we might broaden to cardiovascular or cardiorespiratory fitness versus strength and it's related adaptations like hypertrophy, muscle mass, et cetera. So basically, should you lift or should you run? That's the fundamental question. And as you can probably guess, of course, we're going to say do both. But we want to uh, make a little bit more of an elaborate discussion than just that. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is really important to kind of dive into because, first of all, you see people asking these type of questions all the time, you know. And obviously, like you said, in an ideal world, just do both. But even that, it's not really specific enough. Like, do we devote the same amount of time to each? Do we devote more time to strength? Do we devote more time to cardiovascular stuff? Does that potentially change throughout age? Like, should you be spending the same amount of time on your aerobic fitness when you're 20 years old as when you are 60 years old, you know? So this is an important question to answer. But it's also important to answer from a very fundamental level because it gets into the heart of understanding what we're trying to do when we actually use exercise as a modality to improve our overall health and longevity, right? Like we actually have to understand what's going on. And the way I'd like you to kind of think about this is there are clearly benefits from just the act of exercise, Right. I think we're all in agreement of that. Like there's social benefits. There are, you know, cardiovascular and metabolic benefits from just getting out and doing any kind of exercise. Like you can measure this functionally. For example, you might measure your blood glucose before and after exercise, and you can see 
that that is influenced, right? And that might have health repercussions. And I would argue if you're getting out exercising, getting some sort of energy flux, you know, most days, you're probably going to be in better health than someone who does nothing. Would you agree, Gary? I would definitely agree. So we can say, okay, there is clearly some benefits to just exercising, right? So that's the first starting point that we have. Again, ideal case scenario, just do both. But really, just do something, right? So you're going to get some benefits from just doing something. So don't fail to actually start because you're too caught up in going, well, which one's more important? Let me research which one's more important. Do something. There's benefits to just doing something, right? But to really like further refine this, we actually have to look at the adaptations we get to exercise, right? And how that intersects with health, right? So the actual results of exercise, right? And this is really important to understand. I'll give you a kind of, um, you know, case study, if you will. If you had an individual who was exercising and they weren't really improving any metrics of performance, you know, whether it's strength, muscle mass, aerobic fitness, anaerobic fitness, whatever, right? They're basically the same level of these fitness qualities as they were previously, right? So they're clearly getting benefits from just exercising, right? But the training that they're doing is not leading to uh, a functional increase in these fitness qualities, right? It's not leading to better fitness. It's not leading to better strength. It's not leading to better muscle, et cetera, right? So we have that individual versus the individual who is training away, clearly getting the benefits, the same benefits as the other individual who's training, you know, the, we'll call them transient benefits, but the way they have their training structured, they're getting fitter. So their resting heart rate is going down, for example, their VO2 max is going up, they're getting stronger. So their overall strength and their muscle mass potentially is also going up, right? So all these different performance metrics, which we'll, we'll talk about now in a second, they're increasing, right? So those two individuals, clearly there's going to be a difference in the results they get as it relates to health and longevity, or at least you would presume, right? So they're clearly both getting the benefits of just exercising, these more transient benefits, the cardio metabolic benefits, but one of these individuals is also functionally improving while the other person is just staying the same, right? They're not building anything, right? So if we have those two scenarios here, you can clearly see that, okay, we want to structure our training in such a way that we actually get results, right? But we still want to, in all cases, do some sort of exercise. Like that's the baseline. Do some sort of exercise, regardless of if you get results, that's going to be better than if you do no exercise, right? So we clearly have a gradation here where no exercise is clearly the worst, right? I don't think that's a controversial statement to say, right? Doing some exercise and not really getting much results from it is clearly better, right? But best case scenario for health longevity, we want to actually improve. We want to actually improve the different qualities that we're trying to improve, right? So again, if we relate this back to what we previously discussed in terms of how much exercise should you be doing, this kind of also plays into that discussion. Because when we talked about that previously, we talked about this range that you could be in, 
right? So, you know, we'll say I have it down here. What is it? The bare minimum of time commitment is 150 to 300 minutes per week of moderate physical activity or 75 to 150 minutes per week of vigorous physical activity or the equivalent of those combined, right? So somewhere in there seems to be the sweet spot, right? However, what if we could do the bare minimum? So we do the 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity, but we got way better results, better improvements in fitness, cardiovascular fitness, better improvements in strength, whatever, right? So basically what I'm saying is it's possible potentially to do the bare minimum but still get better results than someone who is doing the absolute maximum, right? Because if the person is doing the maximum here, they're doing the 300 minutes per week, for example, and they're not improving at all. Like they're not really getting fitter. They're not getting stronger. They're clearly spending a lot of time on this stuff. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be the person putting in 150 minutes per week and getting really great results because their program is structured really well or the individual doing 300 minutes per week and they're kind of just staying the same? right so it's important to understand that yes okay exercise is important regardless right but as humans we have a constrained amount of time you know that's what we're trying to stave off to a degree here we don't want to you know die young from preventable diseases so how do we spend our time more effectively right so that's kind of the the kickoff to this discussion how do we spend that time more effectively gary like what should we be focusing on right like I suppose the way to start this is to run through the different benefits of different types of exercise, like the different qualities we might be changing with the different, if it's all, it's more cardiovascular focused, we'll, you know, we'll use aerobic fitness as a proxy for that. And then it's more like strength focused, like what are the different adaptations and how does that relate to longevity overall? You know, cause then we can start answering okay, well, maybe the strength adaptations are way more important or way more beneficial from a longevity perspective. So let's bias ourselves towards that and just do the bare minimum cardiovascular or vice versa. So what are your thoughts here, Gary? Yeah, so, so firstly, just as an opening point, and this is something we'll discuss a lot more in next week's episode. But for, for me personally, like my, my kind of perspective on you know the question of can you do too much exercise or where the upper limit is, is probably in favor of saying that it's not really clear where the upper limit is. And there seems to be consistently benefits from doing more. You look at the available research and you see, you know, an upper limit of, of benefits, maybe where the benefits start to decline a little bit of like 10, 12, 15 hours of, of exercise per week, which is a lot, you know, that's a lot of training. Similarly, when you look at VO2 max values and, and levels of cardiorespiratory fitness, they're much higher than what someone would attain if they were just casually, you know, in the gym, putting in kind of half-assed efforts. So when you look at the general amount of exercise that someone can do and continue to benefit, more is better in most cases. There are exceptions and there probably is some upper limit but most people aren't near that. So most people don't need to worry really about being in, at the point where they're doing too much for their health outside of, of course, causing injury or low energy availability, etc. Now, the reason that's important is because what we're talking about here is trying to be efficient with your time. Because while we can look at research that looks at over 750 minutes of exercise per week, still conferring health benefits, 
most people are nowhere near that that's athlete territory most yeah, people are trying that, like when i was saying earlier on like oh we have this individual who's doing the 300 minutes per week of moderate physical activity but they're staying the same like realistically that's not a scenario that's likely to happen like mm-hmm. if you're doing 300 minutes per week of activity you're probably going to be improving in some regard you know again it might not be the most efficient way to do it it's a kind of a blunt force method to just do more work however there's really it's very rare that there would be a situation where you just wouldn't get any adaptations by doing more work you know but anyway, i just wanted to interject there yeah yeah absolutely so like you will you will generally continue benefiting from doing more work it obviously becomes more complicated the higher your level of fitness and the specific sports qualities etc but what we're talking about here is the idea of trying to be efficient because unfortunately not everyone has enough time to exercise 10 15 hours a week you know most people are asking (laughs) most people are asking themselves how can i use the three to five hours let's say of time that i have available most effectively for my health you know should i be spending my time on the treadmill Should I be spending my time, you know, lifting weights? Should I be spending my time playing a sport competitively? What exactly should I be aiming at? And here we need to also just add another caveat. And that is that there's a difference between exercise and sports. So if you're competing in a sport, you inherently accept that there's some level of risk of injury, whether it be minor or major. So there's never going to be a zero risk of you getting injured when you're playing a sport. We can bring that risk when we're just training ourselves quite low because you can just train at a lower level of effort. You can stay further from failure. You can choose safer exercises, etc. But if you're competing in sports, there's always going to be an element of, of risk there. Now, the risk generally isn't going to be related to the length of your life as such, but it can very much be related to the quality of your life in terms of, you know, if you're if you end up with with arthritis, let's say from repeated injuries that can compromise quality of life. So that's something that you rip your hamstrings right off the bone, yeah. <laughs> tear all your hamstrings off the bone and require surgery. Then yeah, I can confirm that that will likely impact your quality of life. So um, if you play sport, you just have to accept that risk. And that's something I talk to people about all the time because people often ask me there, you know, they say, uh, is there a risk of getting injured in jujitsu or whatever sport they're asking about? And it's like, yes, always and it could be a very severe injury like every time we go to training with jiu-jitsu you accept that there's uh, there's some possibility of you getting slammed in your neck and you ending up paralyzed like you can't be i'm built different (laughs) you can't be thinking about it all the time but it's it is true and it's true in ga it's true in horse riding it's true in rugby any sport okay that's walking across the road absolutely like there's just always risk like we like to think that oh, we live in this safe environment, like you live in a city or whatever, we've made it as safe as possible for humans. Absolutely not. Like people literally slip walking down the stairs and become paralyzed. Like Absolutely. Yeah, so there's you can't you can't take risk, risk to zero. That's important. Now, as we focus more on the question of, right, am I going to the treadmill, am I going to the bike, or am I going down to the weight section? Of course, the simple answer is both. But in reality, we have different benefits that come from each type of training. And this is important because as we begin to look at uh, aerobic fitness and strength at very low levels, you know, there's going to be general benefits of both. You know, they're going to have metabolic effects. So you're, you're increasing energy expenditure. You'll have better blood glucose regulation. 
they'll both improve your blood pressure. These, the, there's these different general benefits. But as we go towards choosing just one and specializing in that, there's going to be more specialized adaptation uh, adaptations in both domains. So for example, when we look at more doing more aerobic training, you're generally going to have a lower resting heart rate. So can your resting heart rate reduce during strength training? Absolutely. Is it going to reduce to the same extent? No. Okay. So lower resting heart rate, you're going to have an increased in heart, increased heart rate variability, secondary to the vagal tone that's going to occur as you get fitter. Um, lower blood pressure, potentially, there's some variance here in the research in terms of what the specific effects of strength versus endurance training are on blood pressure. You do see in higher trained or better trained endurance athletes versus strength athletes that they have lower blood pressure. But the problem there is that they also have very different diets um, and, you know, very different uh, competitive demands, training seasons, et cetera. So there's a lot more at play. And I think when you look at the research overall, it's hard to say which is better for, for blood pressure regulation, but generally, excuse me, over time, you do observe that endurance athletes tend to have lower blood pressure. There's mitochondrial adaptations that are going to happen to a greater extent where you're going to increase the number um, and size of your mitochondria uh, in an endurance trained athlete. Um, blood lipid variations are going to be very subtle. Um, probably not too much of an impact there between strength and endurance, maybe slightly higher HDL in uh, an endurance athlete, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus on that too much. Just not an important thing really. Um, and then when it comes to your mood, mental health, cognition, brain health, um, some evidence would suggest that, you know, higher levels of aerobic fitness are, you know, really important there, especially in terms of insulin sensitivity, um, blood glucose regulation and the impact long-term on brain health. Uh, there probably are, you know, relatively, you know, there are benefits to both strength and endurance training or aerobic training here, um, that, you know, I probably wouldn't divorce them too much, but overall, there are, you know, clearly some specialized benefits. The main things there that stand out from aerobic fitness would probably be the, the mitochondrial components, the resting heart rate, um, heart rate variability. Um, they're, they're kind of the main things. And then more specifically then the cardiovascular um, adaptations, like if you get down to the level of the blood vessel, the things that happen in the heart, et cetera, beyond the scope of today, but there are far more things that do occur. Um, but then as we look at the strength side of things in terms of someone who's doing resistance training, of course, higher levels of muscle strength, higher levels of muscle mass, um, greater bone density, uh, all of which are, are very important. So on one side, we've got benefits that are probably more cardiorespiratory and metabolic specific. Um, and then on the other side, we've got more of the strength, muscle and bone, um, as well as the metabolic so there's some divergence in terms, of the, in terms of the adaptations, but remember that they do start generally. Now, as we take that into account, what you have to think about then is what contributes to mortality. And this question actually might be a little bit different depending on um, you know, your family history, for example. So if you've got a very strong family history of, let's say, frailty sarcopenia and uh you know low or osteoporosis that might be a slightly different decision matrix versus the person who has a very significant cardiovascular history history of you know heart failure heart attacks etc they're slightly different cases so overall like cardiovascular disease is probably the thing that is you know 
most important to try to stave off. Um, and then if you do get into your later life, you want to stave off fra frailty and sarcopenia for sure. Um, and those things are somewhat interlinked. So for me, at least, it's very hard to say you should pick either. I think that you can get a lot of the or some of the benefits of improved function and, and staving off sarcopenia with your aerobic training. And then similarly, you can get some of the benefits to your cardiovascular and metabolic health from your strength training. So I would, again, come back to saying both and find it very hard to say that you should just do one. I think in terms of time, I think aerobic training probably should take up more of your training time because the, um, the time that you need to get a decent level of strength that's going to preserve your health is actually not that much. You know, if you're training two, three days a week in the gym for 30 to 45 minutes, you're probably, you know, getting close to the maximum amount of benefits you might get from just strength over time, uh, because it's not like you need to have, uh, you know, 140 bench and 200 kilo squat to, you know, max out the, the benefits. Um, and I think that right now we probably have a lot better evidence on the aerobic training higher side of the spectrum in terms of multiple hours up to 10 hours plus still potentially conferring benefits. So if I was to look at it purely in a time, um, in a time sense, more time spent doing aerobic training or cardio is probably better for long-term health. But if you're someone who's done that all your life, it might actually be better to spend more time doing strength training now. So as always, it depends <laughs> bit of a cop-out answer but that's just the reality of it yeah exactly but um i do think we should just go through some of the more strength specific adaptations because it actually does help people answer this question for themselves right mm -hmm. because well the cardiovascular stuff that we just talked about there it, it's kind of a little bit easier to see it's kind of a little bit easier to kind of go oh yeah look i know cardio is good for the heart i know it's good for you know metabolic stuff i know it's good for you know these different things Cool, right? But why would we even do strength? You were just saying there, or do strength training, I should say. Like you were just saying there that we have a lot more evidence for the aerobic benefits, you know, in terms of longevity. You know, we're like, oh, well, we can actually do a lot of aerobic training and continue to see positive results. So let's just do more aerobic training. Right? Can I just, just clarify there for one second? So just for the listener, in case it's confusing, when I say we have more evidence. I mean that we just have like a clearer understanding because there's more research. Whereas we don't have as much research on people who are doing extreme volumes of resistance training, for example, whereas endurance athletes um, and people who are doing very high levels of aerobic training recreationally, there's a lot of evidence on that. It's just that it's less well characterized. So it's not that, you know, there's, there's evidence comparing these two and saying, Oh, resistance training is poorer but rather that we just don't really know what the upper limit looks like for health yeah and that's important to understand because again like if you look at the the trend in we'll call it sports science like a lot of it just started the earlier work in like say the 60s the 70s even into the 80s like it was pretty much all aerobic focused like it was all just cardiovascular training focused because obviously a lot of the researchers the researchers that went into the field like they were coming from you know a running background or these different things right um whereas like resistance training strength training has only really been massively popularized we'll say since the 80s 90s became way more but it's really only the late 2000s actually the late 2000s like you know 2005 to you know the current day where it's really really taken off that you know most people 
would be doing some form of resistance training. Like I remember when I grew up, like there was one gym in my area and Gary, you've been to to Sandyford now and there's like fucking 20 gyms, you know? (laughs) So like it has only really taken off in the last few years. So how would you expect us to have long-term data for that stuff, right? Of course we wouldn't. So we have more data on the aerobic stuff as it relates to longevity at least, whereas we don't have as much for the resistance training focused stuff longer term. Um, and we can also make mechanistic hypothesis as to why aerobic training might be more beneficial, especially considering that there doesn't seem to be a upper limit to the adaptations you can get, you know, like you can continue to improve them. Whereas at a certain point, you know, it's going to be very hard to improve your strength. It's going to be very hard to improve your muscle mass, you know, but you could still be getting aerobic adaptations, you know? Um, but anyway, that's a further aside, but anyway, strength specific stuff, right? Like some of the things that are related to strength that might increase your longevity or potentially increase the, uh, health of your years. Um, you know, we're going to see potentially an increase in muscle mass, which obviously has, uh, an anti-sarcopenic, so an anti-muscle loss element to it as you age, stronger muscles uh, and better coordinated, better functioning muscles, obviously make life a little bit easier. Like if your one rep max of a split squat or something is like below your body weight at a certain stage, like getting, walking up the stairs, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be challenging. Like, cause you just don't have the strength. So how could you be expected to live your life you know, you're basically always at like your limit strength. So getting stronger obviously improves your function, which is really vital as you age because you don't want to be doing like, you know, falling and different things like that, right? Um, or you want to be able to catch yourself when you fall. So you need to have those well-coordinated muscles and stronger bones. That's a common one that's discussed, especially as it relates to women. So we want to stave off that osteoporosis. So again, resistance training is a phenomenal tool for that. And we see increased joint stability and integrity with resistance training. And that's generally because we get into these different ranges of motion. We'll put it like that, where you might not when you're doing just cardiovascular training, like imagine you did cardiovascular training and you were just always on a, you know, let's say a lower impact version of cardiovascular machinery. Like you did something like a, um, what are they called? Like a, a, an elliptical that's the word um like you're always doing something like that like you're never really getting into like a deep squat position for example so like why would your body prioritize you know the stability in that position right so again going through these different ranges of motion with resistance training potential benefits there for joint stability obviously the muscles get stronger as well and that overall integrity of the different joints right Similar to cardiovascular training, we see better insulin sensitivity and metabolic health, which obviously has effects in an anti-diabetic you know, way. You do see lower blood pressure. Again, they might, there might be different mechanisms as it, is, as it relates to aerobic or cardiovascular training. But again, either way, you're still getting the, the functional outcome that you want, right? Um, you see generally lowered resting heart rates. Again, is it as low as you know, cardiovascular training? Yeah, probably not, you know? And again, we do see those cognitive and mood enhancing effects from exercise in general, right? We might also see better neuromuscular control and coordination of our muscles because we're going through these different ranges of motion and we're doing it usually under higher loads. However, you do somewhat get those benefits from just doing cardiovascular training in general. Like you have to be able to coordinate 
your movement and um, but generally because you're doing a larger pool or a larger variety of movements with strength training in general like you're probably going to see a better overall neuromuscular coordination you know maybe you disagree with that gary but in my experience and my understanding of the research i think that's fairly safe to say you know so there's some of the strength specific adaptations but one of the things we haven't touched on which kind of blurs the line between the two of them because it is cardiovascular in nature but some of the adaptations also come from strength training and that is more anaerobic style training so like resistance training is somewhat anaerobic like it's probably um more of that uh creatine phosphate system a lot of times especially the way most people lift like they're doing a 12 rep set and it lasts like three seconds <laughs> um but we are doing more anaerobic style training in, in general when we're doing resistance training um but what if we were to do like you know sprint training you know actual cardiovascular quote-unquote training but in a more anaerobic style like a lot of these benefits at least from my understanding do come from the aerobic adaptations you know so it's basically the recovery period from that and this is also why you often see like the aerobic adaptations seem to drop off six to eight weeks of anaerobic training like you're not really getting a huge benefit thereafter in terms of aerobic fitness and that's usually when people just kind of go oh like I'm just going to not do this training anymore because they're, they're not seeing a huge amount of benefit. And again, it goes back to that case study that I was saying at the start, like you could be doing a huge amount of anaerobic training, but not really seeing any performance increases. You know, you might get some localized effects. Like you might be able to buffer acidosis a little bit better from like upregulation of certain enzymes and whatever else, but that's not really all that effective in promoting longevity. You know, like I'd rather see you get a lower resting heart rate or get a higher VO2 max, because we know that at least those things seem to be correlated with better longevity, you know, um, with specific anaerobic training, like you can also just kind of get a lot of those benefits from just doing resistance training. So you don't necessarily need to do anaerobic specific training. And that's important to understand because if we're talking about, okay, how are we going to spend our, our hours, how are we going to spend our hours on our training budget? I probably, even though people are like, oh, it's so effective. It's so like time efficient. Like, yeah, it's time efficient in a short-term sense. Like you can burn 50 calories very quickly doing anaerobic training, but you're kind of cutting yourself, like it's not time efficient over the long course as it relates to, you know, health and longevity, because you're not actually getting the adaptations that you want. You know, like if you just do a load of anaerobic training, like, yeah, you get fitter for the first couple of weeks, months, even. But at a certain point, you're just, you're not getting fitter. Whereas if you were to do more anaerobic training, again, the ceiling for that is just keeps going. You're never touching it, you know? Um, so I probably wouldn't be spending a huge amount of my training budget on anaerobic training outside of resistance training, right? Um, there is a case to be made that anaerobic training seems to be better for improving VO2 max, at least certain types of anaerobic training, even though people call it aerobic training in the research, which is not the case because they're not they're Like you're literally, they're like, Oh yeah. Like you're going to be working at a 90% of your VO2 max for three minutes. And they're like, Oh, this is aerobic training. And I'm like, like it, it is absolutely not aerobic training. <laughs> um, but we might be eliciting some aerobic uh, benefits from that. But again, this is one of those things where 
the effects seem to drop off relatively quickly. Like it might be better for improving things over a shorter time course, but who cares? Who cares over like six weeks? Like we're not trying to just improve our VO2 max over six weeks and then we're done for the rest of our lives. Like that doesn't make sense, right? We want to improve our VO2 max over the next 50 years of our life. 100 years in my case, Gary, you, maybe you get 50 years, um, you know, like we want to keep going. So aerobic training seems to be a better option overall, right? And then just to finally round out the discussion here in terms of, okay, how are we allocating our time? Like sports, these may be a consideration for some people, they might want to train a certain sport. There are potentially additional benefits to sporting activities in terms of like hand-eye coordination, social aspects, um, but the main drawback with sports is obviously specific adaptations to impose demands. And what I mean by that is you might not be able to get the aerobic benefits or the strength benefits because your sport doesn't focus on that. You know, like you might play, I don't know, I can't think of a sport that just does has no strength benefit or whatever, you know, but there's certain sports where you're just like, okay, maybe they're more like if you're just doing endurance running, you know, you're just like, oh, I just run like, you're probably not getting the strength benefits that we want, you know? So that's one of the things. Another thing with sports is like, are you going to be able to continue this after 35 years old? Like that's a, that's a major consideration, you know, like if your sport is like, all right, everyone is just retired at 35, which is the case for a lot of sports, you know, what do you do after that? Do you have a training paradigm for when you retire? A lot of people don't, you know? So Putting that all together, we have certain aerobic benefits, we have certain strength-specific benefits, we have certain anaerobic-specific benefits, and then we have certain sport-specific benefits, right? If it was me, I'm probably going to spend the majority of my time on the aerobic stuff and the strength stuff, right? Like, yeah, okay, sports, they play a role in that. Like, you could be doing sporting training, like I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I kind of just treat that as aerobic training, right? There's maybe a little bit of a... Uh, an anaerobic component like when you're doing you know rounds you know there's obviously an anaerobic component there but the vast majority of the stuff i'm really in that kind of heart rate zone of like 120 to 150 you know so it's, it's aerobic training and so i don't know gary how do we put that all together and how do we then think about like what what should we actually be doing as as people yeah so i think uh, as i said at the beginning anytime you do a sport you obviously accept health risks that you know sports shouldn't be considered the same thing as health behaviors although it you know includes them you know it includes training it includes generally eating well but it also includes the risk that comes along with competing in sport so um what i would say on that as well is that if you are if you're competing in a sport that has a, a short shelf life you know where you're not going to be playing beyond your 30s you know it, it is useful that during that time, especially if you're not a very serious athlete, that you do some other activities that you can enjoy and take beyond that period of time when you stop the sport. Because if you do compete in a sport where, you know, you're just, you've never had any opportunity to train on your own. Like let's say it's a team sport. And the only reason you show up to training is because there's the accountability you're forced to show up. Then maybe those behaviors won't actually carry over after and when you have to train on your own so that's something that's worth thinking about if you're in that position there's now, also some like negatives as well like we do it all we trend like i know whenever i do like a sales call or something like a lot of people come to us especially for nutrition focused stuff especially they, they try to go to brian or dean for this stuff um 
but they'll come to us after having played rugby, for example, or soccer or whatever for a long time. And then they're finished and they still eat like they did when they were training four or five, six hours per week of a like highly competitive, highly intense you know, sport. So they've built up all these habits of like feelings of hunger, satiety related to that. And now they've retired and they don't have anything to fill that like activity mm. void. And all of a sudden they're eating in a 2000 calorie surplus every single day, but they, they can't get out of that habit. They can't like, they need a big meal to feel full because that's the habit they've built from their sporting activity. So that is another component as well. It's not all just fucking, you know, sunshine and roses from a sporting environment. Whereas I feel like with training yourself, like resistance training or even cardiovascular training yourself, that stuff is a little bit more well-managed. Absolutely. So in terms of what you should do then, as we said, do both. And I think it's a reasonable starting point to actually just start with the exercise guidelines where they suggest, you know, a minimum of two days of strength training per week where you're training all major muscle groups and then 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity um, aerobic training per week like that's a reasonable starting point for people like if you want to max out your strength and you know i think while you're young there's no harm in doing that like getting close to maybe your max potential in terms of strength like even if you got 80 90 of the way there you're you know doing fantastic probably be there within three to five years and then spend the next two decades trying to eke out another five percent so if you put three to five years of you know good quality resistance training in you're probably you've probably got most of the strength and muscle mass benefits that you're going to get from a health perspective and then maybe you focus more on the aerobic training now the other thing is that most people aren't setting up their training with only longevity in mind so what you should be thinking here is how can i train in a way that i enjoy that encompasses these considerations for health so if you can find an activity a, a form of aerobic training let's say that you're able to do for three four five plus hours per week then you're in a great place. And that's why, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned jujitsu a minute ago, like that can be treated as a form of aerobic training and it's very enjoyable. And it's something that you do without thinking about it as being cardio as such, because trying to do five hours on a stationary bike on your own in the gym is that's very difficult to do. And it's probably not something you're yeah, going to sustain. That would definitely disimprove my mental health. Yeah, that's not, that's probably not something that you're going to sustain. So maybe it's that you do some sort of activity, maybe you do an exercise class, or maybe you do hiking at the weekends, whatever you can do to try to get up to at least multiple hours of aerobic training per week would be wise. And then from a strength training perspective, maybe you're already really into that you're really into lifting weights already. If you're not, then maybe you just go with the lower end of two days per week, all major muscle groups, you go with a friend or something along those lines, and that's how you tick that box. If you're someone that's already, you know, pretty strong and pretty well muscled, and you're just doing aerobic training at the moment and you're maintaining your gains, you're probably fine. You probably don't need to be lifting weights all the time. But I think for most people, they should at least be doing some sort of maintenance um, training because you do decline with age, you know, depending on what age you are now you are facing a decline in your strength, in your muscle mass, in your bone mass, and in your aerobic fitness over time. And that's what we see in terms of the research on aerobic training. The, ben the maximum benefits of, um, in terms of your level of fitness, they're higher at younger ages because there's a natural decline. So the more you have to begin with, the more you have to lose, and therefore the longer you can maintain the maximum benefits. So 
get a little bit stronger and get a little bit fitter than you think you might need to be. And then you can lose it over time. 100%. And to kind of put this in perspective, I always like to think like if you had best case scenario, like let's say you were just training a child, like you literally had your child, right? <laughs> Whatever, right? Like what, what way would you actually structure this throughout their lifetime or at least, you know, help them structure this stuff throughout their lifetime? Like realistically, if you're a child, like let's say in the zero to 15 years, right? You don't actually have a huge muscle building capacity, right? Like obviously a child is building muscle, right? But it really is only when puberty hits that, you know, we have more anabolic hormones, let's say, that allow us to build more muscle, right? And um, now again, children can be well-muscled, but they're just not going to be as well-muscled as like a 16-year-old. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is, right? And um, so if that's the case, we probably want to just build this huge aerobic gas tank, right? Where we're just like, right, let's actually get incredibly fit as a child, but also work on improving like neuromuscular control. So doing a variety of sports, doing a variety of movements, just getting better at moving your body through space, through space. So it's like kind of proprioceptive control, right? And then as you get into your teen years and maybe up until let's say 35, like that's a bit of an arbitrary cutoff here, but we'll just say 35, like you're probably going to want to maximize your muscle mass and your muscle strength, right? And the sooner you can do that, probably the better. Like if you could do that by 20 and you're like, like a, a very quick and easy way to work out your like natty potential or your natural potential without using dr drugs is like whatever your weight or whatever your height is in centimeters, take a hundred away from that. And that's a rough goal for your, you know, weight in kilograms at a relatively lean position. So I'm 195 centimeters. So for me, somewhere around 95 kilos, if I was like, you know, relatively lean at that, that's probably a good place to be. Like, I'm never going to be 105 kilos shredded unless there's a little bit of like special sauce that goes into it. Right. Um, so that's something to just keep in mind. There's probably a limit to how much muscle you can gain. There's probably a higher limit to how much strength you can gain in terms of like everyone has different limb lengths and everything else. So like if we just all compare it by the bench press, it's probably not a great tool, but if we all compare it to something like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a floor press, you know, there's probably more evenness in that you know so like it just depends on what exact strength metric we're using for that but either way improve your strength improve your muscle in those kind of 15 to 35 years of age right after that like ideally you'd have built all the muscle that you're going to build or going to be able to build so we can move more into what we generally tend to refer to as gaintenance you know and again the americans it's disgusting, but they call it a uh, main gaining, which is oh my God. I, I know. Uh, but anyway, gaintenance. Um, so we'll move more into that kind of phase of our life where we're like, yeah, look, if we get some gains, happy days. Otherwise, we're just focusing on maintaining what we've already built, right? We might then switch our training a little bit to start to devoting more time towards aerobic training. Now, I'm assuming in this kind of 15 to 35 years of age, you've still kept up some sort of aerobic training. Like if we spent the first 15 years of our life really building a, a massive aerobic gas tank, like you don't want to just lose that, right? So you still want to do some aerobic training, 
but maybe it's less, you know, less of a focus of your training in those 15 to 35 years. So you like, like have 20 years of less aerobic training. And then as you get older, we're probably going to devote more and more time towards that aerobic training, because again, the benefits <laughs> don't seem to drop off. Like there's this, I mean, the ceiling is so much higher. It's going to be a way longer slog to get up to it. And you continually see benefits along the way, the higher your aerobic fitness, right? Um, and during that time, so 35 plus, we're still working on maintaining the strength that we have. So let's say, for example, you five hours of training, maybe when you're in your 15 to 35 years of age, you're doing four resistance training. So four of those hours are dedicated towards resistance training. And then you're just doing an hour or so of aerobic training. And then when we hit like 35 and above, maybe we're doing two to three of those hours are resistance training and then two to whatever hours, uh, two to three, I should say, of uh, those hours are aerobic training, depending on exactly how we want to split it up, you know? Um, that's probably what I would encourage people to do. Now, obviously, if you have more hours to spend, you have more hours to spend. As you get 65 plus, like we might actually want to pick up a little bit more resistance training, right? And the reason for that is, you know, this is probably the time where you start losing a bit of muscle, right? You start losing a bit of strength. So we might actually have to do a little bit more to kind of overcome that anabolic resistance, right? So that's maybe how you could structure it. If you have this like ideal picture of your overall life and going like, oh, when am I going to structure all these different things? Um, and obviously, look, if you're listening to this and you're 40 and you're going, man, I've never trained. You know, I remember I trained when I was a, a child, but in the last 30 years, I haven't done anything. Like, it's not saying that you have to start from the start. Like in that case, again, doing anything is probably the best place to start, right? And then you can start splitting up your training based on, uh, we'll call it a functional needs analysis. Like, are you just really unfit? Do you have very low levels of muscle mass? Like, well, where are we at? What is the biggest return on investment for you based on your you know, needs right now? Um, so do you have anything to say on that, Gary? No, I don't think so. I think it sounds like a, a good old plan of action, you know? So if you've got your little, your little baby that you're trying to mold at home... <laughs> that's what you're going to do fantastic but yeah so in kind of summary to all of this because it has been a little bit disjointed but it'll make more sense when you listen to the rest of the episodes in this series especially the next one as well um that hopefully gives you a little bit of an overview of going okay well i actually need to sit down and do a little bit of a functional needs analysis and see where i'm weakest and how does that line up with my next 5, 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 year goals, right? Um, but the main thing I want you to really take away from this is that a variety of the top predictors of longevity are actually performance related, right? And importantly, they're also modifiable, right? And some of them, such as, you know, I have a few down here, like lower body strength, hand grip strength, muscle mass, sit to stand ability, VO2 max, resting heart rate, HRV, walking speed there's a whole variety of them right they're modifiable right and we know that they're associated with longevity right so if you want to live longer let's focus on the stuff that's modifiable like people always get caught up in going oh i have this genetic risk factor or i have xyz all these different things that are just not modifiable right you're like okay i might have to take drugs for this and as a result it's modifiable but there are certain things where you could just do an activity like you could just improve your vo2 max for example and you would see potentially improvements in longevity 
right? So that's important to understand. There are performance-related longevity markers and they're modifiable, right? And this always brings me back when you ever, like I'm sure you've seen this before, Gary, in like jujitsu and stuff, people will say like, oh, you're using too much strength or, oh, like, yeah, that was good, but uh, like, oh, you're very strong. And like strength is literally a modifiable attribute, you know? Like if you're tapping out to someone that is stronger than you, you are tapping out to someone that has a benefit over you in something that is modifiable. Like people are less likely to say that and go, oh, you're very fit or, oh, you're very flexible, which are also modifiable things, you know, but they focus on the strength thing because they're weak, (laughs) you know? Uh, So again, it is a modifiable thing that we can actually work on. And as a result of that, if you want to live longer, let's do these things. Right. Um, But then on top of that, there are a number of other markers, such as blood lipids, metabolic health related markers that are also positively influenced by exercise. Right. And a lot of them are just influenced by the actual act of exercising itself. So you don't even need to improve the different performance related metrics to see a benefit here. Obviously, there are certain protocols that are going to be better for whatever the exact goal is. And then obviously there's a huge social contribution, especially if you are doing stuff in like a gym, like that's, uh, I've said it before, like I moved over to London and like the friends that I have over here, you know, I met in the gym or I met in jujitsu. So there's a huge like social part of all of this, you know, I know loads of people who have done something similar where they've moved over to a different country and like they want to make friends. So they join a gym or they join a sport. So that kind of stuff, it might seem meaningless, but when you really look at the bigger picture of like all the socioeconomic um, psychosocial, I suppose you'd say attributes or uh, properties of overall health. Yeah. We still want to focus on that stuff. Right. And it's very often glossed over in more of the mechanistic physiological, physiological stuff, but it is important to understand that being happy is probably a thing that you want for a long life. Right. And um, so it makes sense to exercise. Ultimately, like Gary said previously, find the exercise that you enjoy and call it a day. That's it. (laughs) You know, if you can do some resistance training, do some aerobic training, you're good to go. It's very hand wavy. It's very like, okay, do do a little bit of everything and happy days. Um, But unless I have an individual in front of me and I can do a proper needs analysis and go, well, look, your resting heart rate is in the seventies, your VO2 max is terrible. And while, yeah, you've a lot of muscle mass and a lot of strength, this is the thing that needs to be worked on, right? I can't do that across a podcast format. You know, that's only something you can do on an individual basis. So that is something that if you're listening to this, you kind of have to be honest with yourself. Like, do you have good performance metrics? And maybe we'll do that in one of these things where we'll just go through the different targets for all of these performance metrics um, and then maybe how you train for each of them. That's a pretty long uh, episode it would be, but maybe that's something we'll do. Um, but either way, Gary, training is good. Doing a variety of training modalities are good. If we just did the st- or the uh, recommendations, we'd probably be in a good place, you know? Um, but do you have anything to add to that? Um, no, I think just all I would say is that generally we can all benefit from doing more exercise or at least most of us can benefit from doing more exercise. And when you look at the effects that exercise has on health and longevity, both quality and quantity of life, the effects are far, far more 
more significant than the vast majority of the things that people worry about. People worry about supplements, these, you know, does this increase longevity or this component of food? Like I generally find that people are way more neurotic about very minor nutrition details, despite the fact that they don't exercise that much. You know, they do a little bit of training, you know, guys that go to the gym and then they're worrying about the specific components of, I don't know, an energy drink or something, and they don't do any cardio. Like these, these things, improving your aerobic fitness, improving your strength, et cetera, are far, far, far more meaningful for longevity. You know, this, this also is something we'll discuss in, in future episodes, but when you look at like conventional cardio, cardiovascular risk factors that people are constantly trying to modify, aerobic fitness is has such a large effect and far more than some of these risk factors that people worry about. So my message, as always, is, you know, train, train, train plenty, train often, and you'll have a good you'll have a good a good life in that, you know, being fit is not just about longevity. It's not just about quality of life. It's also about your capability. You have the ability to traverse the world as a human and depending on what you do you might be able to fend for yourself a little bit better whether not just in a combat sense but in that if you ever end up in a situation where you need to move something out of the way or you need to escape like you have all these abilities because of your fitness so yeah train plenty train often and especially in combat as well because as we've discussed yeah. previously interpersonal violence is one of the major killers of people our age so yeah ideally you would be able to defend yourself anyway um that's it for this episode gary where can people find us and as always guys services, what services do we sell gary well we now have a nutrition certification that of course you guys are aware of by now if you're following so if you'd like to get certified as a nutritionist with triage whether that be an independent certification or something you'd like to add to your personal training practice you can do so. Um, that's open now. You don't have, there's no prerequisites. You don't have to be a personal trainer. You don't have to have any prior nutrition education, um, but it is designed in such a way that it will take you from a fairly low level of understanding to a fairly high level of understanding. Or if you already have a decent level of understanding, you're still going to benefit quite a bit because there's varying levels of depth um and you'll have to pass exams and everything to get your cert they're you know relatively challenging but manageable because we want it to be you know something that people can do without having prior education uh while still benefiting those that do as we said so if you'd like to get involved do get involved you that should be linked in the description box below uh so click the link and get involved and if you have any questions you can of course ask if you'd rather just engage with our coaching service, you want to work on your own goals, it's not about your personal coaching development, then we do have coaching spaces available as well. So check the description box for more information on that. We have a weekly newsletter that you can subscribe to below. We also have a lot of free content that we put out on social media. So you can follow us at Triage Method on Instagram and various other platforms as well. And then finally, if you enjoy the podcast, we always appreciate when people, you know, share it on their story or they leave a rating and review. And of course, make sure you're subscribed. Maybe you're listening regularly, but you realize you're not subscribed on your podcast app. So do that too. Splendid. Anyway, I don't have anything else to say. So I hope everyone enjoyed this and I look forward to speaking to you in the future.